talk to you about today about God's plan for fatherhood. You know, because fatherhood and that title of father isn't just a, a title that we carry as fathers. It's a, it's a name that's been invested in us. And every one of us, every one of us have a purpose that God has a plan for us. And as, as fathers, it's no different. God has a plan, God has a, a purpose for each and every one of us. And, and you know, the, <clears throat> the world has this philosophy. And if we get caught up in this worldly philosophy, this secular humanistic philosophy of, of what a father is really supposed to be. I mean, <clears throat> don't base who you are as a father by the sitcoms on TV or by what the world tries to tell us. You know, in fact, don't even base it on what so much of religion even tells us. We need to base it upon what, what the Word of God says. Because I believe that the position of a father is so important. You know, I thank God for the influence that you mothers have had upon your, your children and those around you because it's, it's so very important. But even in the secular realm, statistics have proven the, the impression, the influence that a father carries in his children. And so, as the spiritual head of the home, we have a responsibility to our kids, and, and we can't take lightly that responsibility. And once again, you know, if we go by worldly philosophy, you know, fathers and husbands are irrelevant uh, in the day that we live in. But you need to know that you're not irrelevant. You need to know that God has a plan and a purpose for you. And the position of fatherhood is one of the most honored positions that you could ever be in. Not because of the position that you hold, but because of the influence that you can have in the lives of, of your children. And for some of us, our grandchildren. Praise the Lord. And so it's, it's, it's very important. And so from the very beginning, God made you as fathers to have influence. And we can go back to the beginning. And in the beginning, in Genesis 1, uh, verse 26, it says, And God said, uh, 26, I better get down to 26. And God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the things on the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. And so God gave man, and of course we know that that's talking about male and female, dominion. But God gave man dominion. 
you know, we have the account of the fall of man and how Satan approached Eve in the form of, of a snake and spoke to her and, and brought her to a place of doubt concerning the Word of God. But you know, the impression that I have anyway as I read that is that Adam wasn't off someplace. Adam was right there and he didn't do anything about it. You know, we have responsibility as husbands, as parents, as fathers to, to guard and to protect our children. And one of the main ways that we're able to guard and protect our children is by the influence that we have in their life. Dr. Cole always made this statement. He says, and he was speaking to fathers, and he says, you know, <clears throat> your children may not always do what you say, but they'll do what you do. You know, the greatest teacher that there is is somebody that doesn't tell you how to do something, but shows you how to do something. And that's what we as fathers, that's what our primary responsibility is, is to show our, our children the way to go. The Bible says that when we train, and training is, is, is so much more than telling somebody something. Training is showing somebody. You know, I, you know when, I, when I started plumbing, you know, I went, I went to uh, trade school. And I went to trade school, I learned all the formulas and everything. You know, what they taught me. But then I got on the job and I began to work with individuals that were journeymen and, and master plumbers. And they didn't tell me how to do it, they showed me how to do it. And once they showed you how to do something, it, it stuck with you. And that's our responsibility as, as fathers, is to show our children the way they should go. And when they're old, they're not gonna depart from it. Why? Because it's established in them. Yeah, you know, I remember years back, <clears throat> um, the majority of don't remember him, but there was an individual in our church, his name was, uh, um, no, I can't think of his name, Devaloy, uh, Galen Devaloy. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, he, he was talking about his upbringing. He, he, brought, he was raised up in a, a traditional background. But he said, you know, I, I see people today and so often they're struggling. Every Sunday morning they have a struggle because they've got to make this decision. Are we going to go to church or not? And he says, you know, I grew up in a home. When I became an adult, Sunday morning was never a struggle for me because it was never an option. And so in following my father and following my parents in the instruction and the direction that was given to me. It was just part of who I am. You know, we are, as fathers, we are the spiritual head of the home. And I think so much of the old teaching concerning being the spiritual head of the home means we get to tell everybody what to do. Why was that off target? No, what it means is we get to show everybody what to do. We get to take the lead. And we're to be able to say to our children, follow me, do as I do. Practice the principles 
that I practice. And so Adam, he didn't do that. He looked in the other direction. And we've suffering the consequences of it today. You know, we have the very life of God on the inside of us. In Genesis 2, 7, it says, And God formed man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed in his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. We don't just simply live. We have life. And we have the Zoe life of God on the inside of us. And our responsibility is not just to give people life. We're ha we have within us the authority, and not only the authority, the responsibility to show, to demonstrate life. And as our children watch us and our children see us, they see what what a father God is really like. You know, my dad, he's gone home to be with the Lord now, but growing up, he wasn't exactly the most spiritual individual in the world. But you know, my dad did something for me. There was never a time that I didn't know that my dad didn't love me greatest gift he ever gave me. And the reason for that is when I gave my life to Jesus Christ and Father God became my father, I never doubted his love for me. I see people struggling in their walk with God because they have a difficult time coming to an understanding that our Father God truly loves us unconditionally. He loves you just the way you are today. He may not <laughs> approve of everything that we do, but he loves us. You know, yesterday when we were at the job site, <clears throat> I was filling my role as a pastor and standing down below watching everybody working on the roof. Now, Donna, don't laugh too hard because I did end up on the roof. You know, <clears throat> but I was, I was watching and, and this friend of the guy that we were doing the job for came onto the job site and so we were standing there and we were talking and he was asking how this Habitat for Humanity, how this whole thing works and, and who these, these we people were, you know, and, he says, you volunteers? And I says, yeah, we're, we're volunteers. And, and there's a rotation and, and uh, churches rotate. And so this particular Saturday, it's, it's our Saturday. I'm, I'm Pastor Dave Schroeder from Abundant Life and the guys that are here are from my church. And so this is our, our Saturday to work. And, and so we, we got talking and we, he's in uh, the same denomination that I grew up in. And, and he began to talk about it, you know, being kind of legalistic and stuff. And I says, yeah, I know what you mean. And, 
And he says, let me ask you a question. He says, you know, a few years ago, my wife up and left me and divorced me. And, and uh, you know, the church tells me that I'm lost because of it. And uh, I said, well, that's not true. And then he talked about his father, how his father had fought in the war. And he said, you know, I've killed, I killed so many people. There's, there's no hope for me. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of people that are sitting in this boat and religion has done it to them and has convinced them because of their behavior, because of something that they've done, they've disqualified themselves from the love of God. And you see, the, 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 the difficult part about that is oftentimes in our households, because we didn't have a, a father that loved us unconditionally and showed us that love, we translate that over into our relationship with our Father God. And we see ourselves because we've screwed up that we're disqualified from the, the love of God. But if you leave here this morning and you don't hear anything else that I tell you, I want you to hear this. I want you to know that God loves you. And God loves you unconditionally. No matter how badly you have messed up or you've screwed up, your Father God forgives you. And this is what I told this man. I said, there isn't any sin that you've committed or your father has committed that can possibly send you to hell. There is only one sin that will send you to hell, and that is the sin of unbelief. That is the sin of not believing in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And the reason that we screw up so much in life is because we haven't come to the revelation of what Jesus has truly done for us. Because if we will ever come to the place where we know how much God loves us unconditionally, we will not be able to help ourselves but to serve him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength. And we'll love one another. And so I, anyway, I didn't pray with him, but I think it gave him something to think about. Something to think about. You know, in Luke, the 15th chapter, we have an account that Jesus shared with us of a, a man that had two sons. And, and we've titled it The Prodigal Son. But I don't feel that that's a very appropriate title. And this is the reason for it. Let me give you the Webster's definition of prodigal. Definition number, number one. Exceedingly or recklessly wasteful. Number two, extremely gener generous. Lavish with one's praise. If you notice something about the scriptures, 
If you're reading the scriptures appropriately, and by that I mean recognizing your position in Jesus, it never tears you down. When I didn't know who I was in Christ Jesus, I would read through the scriptures and I would feel so condemned. But when I found Jesus Christ, or probably more appropriately, he found me, because he has never lost. And he introduced himself to me. And I began to understand the love that he had for me. I tell you, I read the scriptures now, and every time I read through it, I'm edified. I'm built up. Because I see how much Jesus loves me. You know that old song, Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so. If your Bible isn't telling you how much Jesus loves you, ain't gonna do any good to get a new Bible, you just need to find out who Jesus is. And it'll change. It'll change you. You know, this is what we need today. We don't need more rules and regulations. We need a change. We need to experience the love of Jesus. And if we want to see change in our environment, if we want to see change around us, that'll take place when we're changed by Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And so, more definitions. Extremely abundant. The noun is a person who wastes his means. And so we, we got the story of the prodigal son because he wasted his inheritance. But you know what? I believe it's really about a prodigal father. Because if you remember the story, remember the man had two sons and the younger of the two came to his father and said, Father, I want my inheritance. Basically, he was saying, Dad, I can't wait for you to die. I want my money now. And the father gave it to him. And we're left with the impression that when he gave him the money, the father knew that he was, he was probably going to waste it. And he did. He took off a few days later and went to a faraway land and said he, he, he threw away, he wasted his entire inheritance and got to the point because there was a famine in the land you know, and of course, all the friends that he wasted it on uh, didn't seem to be his friends any longer. Let me tell you something. Those friends that want to pull you away from your relationship with Jesus, when you bought them out, they won't be there. They won't be there because all they want is what they can get from you. Because that's all the world that we live in. That's all it knows. And so he wasted everything. It says he finally connected himself with a farmer who sent him out to the fields to feed the swine. And it says he was so hungry that he would have been happy to eat the pots that they were feeding the pigs. But nobody gave him anything. Anything. Not a great life for a young Jewish boy feeding pigs. The Bible says... But then he came to a census. Comes a point in every one of our lives 
where we have to come to our senses. Says he, he came to his senses, he thought about his father, and he, he remembered how his father, his servants, had more than enough. And it says he said this within himself. I'm going to go to my father, and I'm going to say to my father, I'm no longer worthy to be considered your son. Just treat me as one of your servants. You know, a lot of times we think about stuff. But James says faith without works or faith without corresponding action is dead. And so he rose up and it says he went to his father. Now this is a scene I love. I love this scene. You know, it tells us that the father saw him in a distance. We don't know how long it had been since the father had been home. I mean, the son had been gone. It could have been months. It was probably years. We don't know. But it says that the father saw him on the horizon. And that means he had to have been looking for him. And he saw his son and he didn't wait for his son to get to him. It says that his son, the father must have picked up his skirt and he ran to him. Which in the culture of the day, when you were an old dude like me, you didn't run. That would have been an insult or you know, uh, put, you know, you just didn't do it. But you know, he didn't care what anybody thought. He ran to him. And of course, this is my picture. My picture is he started running, and at that point, everything flipped into slow motion. <laughs> and he's running to his, his son, and he just can't wait to get to him. And says when he got to him, he, he embraced him and he kissed him. Didn't care what anybody else thought. And he back off a little bit and the son says, Father, I'm no longer to be worthy. Worthy to be your son. I've sinned against you and I've sinned against God. Treat me as one of your servants. But then there's Luke 15, 22. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For the son was dead. And he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. And they began to be merry. That's our Father, God. That means it doesn't matter what you've done. His arms are wide open, waiting for us to return. You know, uh, I don't know if you watched any of it, but... Uh, at Billy Graham's funeral, all of his children got up and they, they talked about their father. And, uh, phew, hallelujah. I'm a little emotional these days. Just 
Just talk amongst yourselves. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, Emma, stand up and do a dance for us, will you please? <laughs> because you know what? I'm, I'm, I, I just, I just, Tears my heart out. Seeing what the enemy is doing in the lives of good people. And oftentimes we look at it and where there's death and destruction, we're asking, why is God doing this? And it breaks my heart because there is no death, there is no destruction in my Father God. There's absolutely nothing there but love. And we, we must come to that place in each and every one of our lives individually where we recognize how much God loves us that anything that would bring destruction into our lives is not of God so that we rise up against it in Jesus' name and declare the truth and the reality of the Word of God. You know, the Bible says we're to approach the throne of grace with boldness, with confidence, in our time of need. And the reason that we're able to do that is because we know that my Father God will withhold no good thing from me and that his answer to me is always yes and amen. It is never maybe. It's always yes and amen. Well then, Pastor, why don't we see the manifestation of it all the time. I don't know. So stop dwelling on what you don't know. Dwell on what you know. We often ask why, and we don't get an answer because we're asking the wrong thing. We need to approach God and focus on God and know that God is love. He's not just simply a lover. He is the essence of love. It's impossible to truly define love without defining God. Because that is, he is love. And so, at Billy Graham's funeral, his one daughter had gotten up and shared and She'd been rebellious. She'd gone into a marriage that they had, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. You ain't going to stop me. Entered into a marriage and ended in a divorce. And lived kind of a difficult life. Then she met another man who was going to get married, and both Billy and his wife had discouraged her, said wait, her children had encouraged her to wait, but she didn't wait. 
And she married, and within a day, she knew that she had made a mistake. She had nowhere to go. She had nothing. And so like the prodigal son, she called her dad. And she said, Daddy, I don't have any place to go. Can I come home? And he came home. She came home. We're talking about Billy Graham. If not the, one of the greatest preachers that has ever lived. A preacher whose entire life demonstrated to us absolutely nothing but character and integrity. And he's got this rebellious daughter. He could have said, you know, I'm sorry, but you know, you're really hurting my image. You're a bit of an embarrassment to the family. But no, Billy Graham says, no, you come home. And so, of course, I've never seen this place, but I guess it's kind of on top of a mountain. So she drives home and she's driving up the mountain. And she comes around. The final turn. And there at the gate. One of the greatest preachers we've ever seen is standing, waiting for his daughter. Doesn't wait for her to get out of the car. He goes to the door and opens the door and embraces her and welcomes her home. That's our God. That's the God that you and I serve. Excuse me, got a runny nose. His nose doesn't run. That's the God that we serve. But you know, as fathers, we have the privilege of representing that to our children. Can you imagine that woman when she comes home after looking at herself and examining herself and seeing herself as a total failure. But yet, in the eyes of her father, it was his little girl. And he welcomed her home. That's the father you and I serve and who loves us. In Colossians 2, the 8th verse in the Amplified, it says, See to it that no one carries you off as spoil or makes you yourself captive by his so-called philosophy or intellectualism and vain deceit, idle fantasies, and plain nonsense. Following human tradition men's ideas of the material rather than the spiritual world. Just crude notions following the rudimentary and elementary teachings of the universe 
and disregarding the teachings of Christ, the Messiah. You know what the greatest gift we can give our children? The greatest gift that we can give our children is the knowledge of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But not just simply in words, in deeds. That they see our life. You know, the Apostle Paul said to the church, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. You know, as fathers, we're to be able to say that to our children. Follow me as I follow Christ. Don't follow the mistakes that I've done. Don't follow some of the other things because <clears throat> we ain't exactly perfect, are we? But follow me as I follow Christ, as you follow my example. You know, Proverbs 23 says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. What do we think in our heart? What are the thoughts that we have in our heart? I think oftentimes as, as men, our, our thoughts are consumed by the activities of the world consumed by our job, consumed by this thing and that thing, and, and, and periodically we just kind of find a moment or two to squeak God in there someplace. Rather than allowing him to be the priority in our life, and for our children to be able to see that God is a priority in our life, I remember one of the things that Pastor Becky has shared with me in the past about her grandfather. That one of the things that she remembers about him is seeing him sitting in his chair every day reading his Bible. You know, <clears throat> I remember before I was saved and God was dealing with me some things, I, I found my old King James Bible and pulled it. I hadn't seen it since confirmation but knew what box it was in anyway. I thought that was a nice start. And I pulled it out and I, I started reading it when Becky was gone. And then the moment she'd get home, I'd hide it under the couch because, you know, I didn't want her to see me reading my Bible because she might think I'm a, a wimp or something. And oftentimes that's been our image of what Christians are. But you know, quoting from Dr. Cole again, Dr. Cole always taught us that Christ-likeness and manhood are synonymous with one another. And so if you want to be a real man, you got to be like Jesus. And if you want to be like Jesus, means you can't be ashamed of the words that he's given us. One of the most powerful things that we can do in the lives of our children is to show them that we consider the word of God 
to be a priority, to be important in our lives, to demonstrate to our children that it was this word of God that we received in our hearts that changed us, that has caused us to be who we are today and that they can follow, that they can follow that example. Proverbs 4.23, it says, Keep your hearts with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of heart, uh, uh, issues of life. What we put in our heart, what we put in ourselves, that's what's, what's going to come out of us. And as fathers, if we don't, if we don't dedicate ourselves to the Word and make the Word of God a priority in our life, that's not... That's not what's going to come out of us. And that's what we want to come out of us. We want our children to be able to know that victory is truly theirs through Christ Jesus. And you know what? It's our responsibility. It's our job. And part of that is guarding our hearts. 2 Corinthians 10 Beginning at verse 2, it says, But I beg you. So here's Paul, and he's pleading with them. He says, But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, though you walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down a stronghold, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of of Christ, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. But you know, if we don't ever think on the Word, if we don't ever meditate on the Word, how is it going to dominate our thoughts? And if it doesn't dominate our thoughts, how are we going to be obedient to it? But you know, we are in a, we are in a battle today. We are in a war. And the number one war that we are in is for our families. It isn't so about so many things that are prioritized, but it's about our families. And the lead man in that battle in each of our households are us as fathers, that we pray for our children, that we don't allow that destructiveness that maybe was manifest in our lives, but it doesn't have to be in the lives of our children. We can show them a better way. We can show them a way of victory. You know, you've heard me share this before, how I was reading through the scriptures and I came across this passage it says that the sins of the fathers 
are passed on to the children, to the third and the fourth generation. In fact, I think in the King James Version, it doesn't, it doesn't say sins. It says the curse of the fathers are passed to the third and the fourth generation. And I can look back two, three generations in my family and I see the addiction, I see the alcohol. And I was sitting there and as I saw that, and I know that it tells me in, in Galatians 3.13 that I've been redeemed from the curse. I'm redeemed from the curse. I'm redeemed from the curse of addiction. I'm redeemed from the curse of alcoholism. And I sat there and I thought, if I can be redeemed from the curse that is passed on to the third and fourth generation, why can't my children be entitled to the blessing? And so I sat there and I said, that curse of alcoholism, it is broken in this generation. It'll not affect me. It'll not affect my children. It'll not affect my grandchildren. It'll not affect my great-grandchildren of Jesus tarries. But they'll walk in the blessings of God. And I'm determined that my children and my grandchildren will walk in the blessings of God. And they're gonna. Well, you know, pastor, you need to be open-minded. And you need to let them choose for themselves. How stupid can you possibly be? I am not going to spend eternity without my children. I am not going to spend eternity without my grandchildren. I refuse to spend eternity without my great-grandchildren. They are going to hear, they are going to know about the love of God. We need to rise up and be the men that God has called us to be. And we need to be that determined. Well, pastor, everybody has to choose for themselves. It's hard, it's, it's not difficult to choose when you're given one choice. Well, pastor, you're extremely narrow-minded. You better believe it. Narrow is the way that leads to life. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. My children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren are going the narrow path. They're going to walk with Jesus. And through their grandma and me, they're going to have an example in addition to their mamas and daddies. You know, doesn't happen by accident. Doesn't happen by osmosis. You can take your Bible and you can lay it under your pillow every night. And it's not gonna soak through the pillow into your brain. You've gotta read it, you've gotta hear it, you've gotta believe it, and walk in it. Well, Pastor, you're sounding legalistic. Now, I'm not legalistic. I am a grace dude. But let me tell you, I know one thing. There's life in the Word of God. And we need that life. Why? So that we can be strong and we can rise up and we can tear down those strongholds. You know, you who 
have these young families. You are so blessed. You are so fortunate because you get to begin from the get-go. We had to learn on the run. But you get it from the get-go. You get to instill into your children that truth. You know, my grandchildren, they have not known a day in their life where Jesus hasn't been real to them. Now understand something, I believe that every single individual must for themselves receive Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior because God the Father has no grandchildren. He only has children. That means you must be born again into the family of God. But I believe with my grandchildren that transition is so smooth that when it happens, they hardly tell the difference because they've always known the love of God. We can do that for our children where they never have to doubt. They never have to wonder. They never have to question. Oh yeah, every one of them will come to a certain point where they begin to question certain things, but the answer is there. And if you know God, how could you never not choose him? People do not choose God because they have a false impression of who God is. This, when interpreted correctly, will never give you a false impression of who God is. Listen to this, one more passage before we close. Well, I could go a little longer. Ah, we'll close. Romans 12, 1 and 2. We'll, we'll leave those that are visiting today the impression that we get out of here fairly early. Hallelujah. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you. Here's Paul again. Notice how you say, well, Pastor, you're, you're a little bit too uh, passionate about this. Let me tell you something. My passion doesn't come close to comparing to the passion that Paul had. Paul made this statement at one point concerning the Jews. He said, if I could, I would give up my life so that you might have it. And he's not talking about physical life. He's talking about his spiritual life, that he had such a, a love for those people that if he could take their place and they take his place, he would switch with them. But he knew he, knew he couldn't. Early, he says in, in 2 Corinthians, we read, he says, I beg you. Here he says in Romans 10, he says, I beseech you. Same language, I'm begging of you. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, it's even calling on God's mercy for it to take place, glory to God. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is a reasonable service. 
Heard somebody say one time, the problem with a living sacrifice is they keep crawling off the altar. Well, crawl back on. Be that living sacrifice. And do not be conformed to this world. What does this world want us to do? It wants us to conform to its ways. You know, ever, ever notice how independent children are, kids are? You know, we just want to live our lives. We want to be independent. And then you see them walking down the street and they all look the same. They've all conformed to the same image in the midst of their independence. Well, you know what, I, I don't, I, you know, we all conform to the world. If we give it an opportunity. If we don't fill our minds with something else, we're going to be, we're going to be just like the world. You know, the Bible says we're a peculiar people. We're to be a peculiar people. That doesn't mean weird. That means different. Here's a deep thought. If you're not different, you're the same. And therefore, you're not peculiar. We're different than the world. Well, you know, Pastor, sometimes I just feel out of place. Join the club. Man, we've, we've gone to some things and you know, Pastor Becky is sitting over there all by herself, by our table, because everybody shies away from us. They're, 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 well, they don't think we're peculiar. They just think we're weird, I think. You know, but it's because of the peculiarity. Is that a word? I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. How do we do that? By being transformed. To be transformed isn't based on effort. It's something that takes place within us. But it needs fuel. And that fuel is the Word of God. That when we hear, when we see, when we receive the Word of God, there's a transformation that takes place in our life. God wants to work his transformation in every one of our lives. And every one of us, in one area or another, we've, we've come up short. But you know what? God doesn't want to leave us there. He wants to take us up a level. He wants to take us from glory to glory to glory. And He will if we'll simply allow Him to do so. Fathers, Grandfathers, don't take your responsibility, don't take your job lightly because there's no one that should have more influence in the lives of those in your family than you. And the truth of the matter is you have more influence 
than you think you do. Make sure the influence is based on truth. The truth of God's word. And you'll be the man of God and you'll live it out and you'll look upon your sons and your daughters and you'll see the goodness of God in manifestation. Allow our Lord to use you. That's your job. That's your purpose. You know, <clears throat> if I saw thousands saved, you know, I think of Billy Graham again. The mass crusades, and he saw thousands and thousands of people come forward and receive Jesus as his Lord and Savior. But I'll bet there was nothing that brought a greater thrill to his life than that afternoon when his daughter came home and he was able to embrace her. Let's embrace our children. Let's be certain that they know the truth. Amen? I don't know how to close, so I guess I'm just going to quit. God is so wonderful. Let's just stand to our feet and let's, let's just thank our Father God today. Father God, we thank you that you love us. That you love us so much that you sent your greatest possession, your son Jesus, to be the payment, to be the propitiation for our sins. That we might have fellowship with you. Oh, Father God, we thank you for your goodness and for your love. I ask you today, Father, that you would represent every father that is represented here today, whether he be here physically or one of his children be here spouse be here. Father, I pray today that he would sense in a way as never before each one of us the responsibility that you've given us and how you've empowered us to fulfill that role. Lord, upon the fathers, I speak a blessing today that they would experience your love and your goodness and be able to pass that on to those around them. And Father, I pray that we as heads of households would represent you in our communities rightly. That everyone around us could experience and know how good you truly are. And so, Father, today, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, I speak a blessing upon this congregation that we might walk in the fullness of what you've made available to us. And, Father, I ask it in the name of Jesus. 
Amen. So as you go, go in his peace. And as you go, give somebody a hug. Let them know you love them. And tell them God loves you too. Be blessed.